Unrivaled is here, a new women's basketball league. What does it mean? I've got Alex Simon of Bay Area News Group to tell me. Locked on women's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Thursday and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Meddahl, thanking you for making us your first listen every day. We keep on breaking records. Over 100,000 listeners again in June. You guys keep showing up for us because we keep showing up for you six days a week. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And it is not just me. It is the people who power the Nets, thenetstoops.com where we have over 100 reported pieces every month. Make sure you're subscribing, supporting that work. We have a beat reporter in every single market, $9 a month, $72 a year, best money you'll ever spend. We are creating infrastructure for women's basketball media, thenetstoops.com. And speaking of creating infrastructure, the news dropped today, unrivaled, a women's basketball league, it's not happening during the WNBA season. It is happening during the Athletes Unlimited season, it would appear. Some fascinating details to get into it. In segment one, we're going to talk about some things that we know about it, some things we don't know about it. Segment two, we're going to be talking winners and losers and how AU in particular responds to this challenge. And who better than the dean of all things sports business Alex Simon over at Bay Area News Group. You've seen Alex many places, of course. You've seen him here many times. Alex, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, the Dean of Sports Business is quite the uh, overreaching thing, but there's certainly so much fascinating about this, Howard, and in part because we know very specific things and we don't know so much. And what is, can I just ask you, like, what's the number one thing? that you don't know that you'd like to know about it right now. Where the money's coming from? Yeah, that's uh, a good one for me. Yeah, that's the, I mean, to some extent, it's the only thing that still matters. Brianna uh, Stewart and Nafisa Collier are the two players who are said to be specifically backing this thing. Mm-hmm. Collier's partner, Alex Bazel, is also supposed to be deeply involved. Stewart, in talking to ESPN's Ramona Shelburne, who broke the news on this and has a full story with quotes from Stewart, with quotes from Collier, also quotes from Chelsea Gray, who has at least expressed publicly to Shelburne interest in this. Mm-hmm. Make sure if you haven't seen the news to go check out what Ramona did. It's very interesting. But the quotes within there kind of make you get the sense that like they don't have any cash behind them at this moment. And it, to me, it almost is a little terrifying in the idea that the cart is severely ahead of the horse here. You know... The thing about AU is that AU has financial backing. And so there is a significant, and and it's fascinating, really, if you think about this, the idea that there needs to be a domestic winter league, whether that was even, quite frankly, the WNBA. And there have been, I know, discussions about the WNBA shifting its calendar. Can I also make note, literally within the last hour of our recording, 
Atlanta Dream owner Larry Gattis Dinner uh, retweeted a tweet saying basically the WNBA needs to shift its schedule to the winter. So at least one of the 12 owners is also on board with this idea that the W should just be that league. I am happy to report that at least three of the 12 owners are extremely ready to shift to a winter league, which is a very interesting thing. Is that something made impossible by this league? No, I don't think so. These things are all negotiable, right? Even when you've got the money behind you, they are negotiable, as we found out, quite frankly, in men's golf just a few weeks ago in very different circumstances. And so, I, you know, it's sort of, I'll give you a different comparison for it in the way I think about it. This reminds me a lot of the Continental League, which was an, a, an effort in the late 1950s, early 1960s to create a rival league to Major League Baseball. Branch Rickey's idea, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. That's right. One of many by Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey had uh, five teams in New York, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Houston, and a couple others. The idea being that we're going to create infrastructure where there needs to be some. And that is to say, New York specifically needed a second team. The Yankees alone were not going to cut it. Brianna Stewart and Fisher Collier have been very public about this. There needs to be an alternative. It's not... uh, AU existed, but AU clearly was not sufficient for their purposes, right? And it does seem... I mean, when we've seen what AU does, they are not going in the exact type of way. And this would be, too. We'll explain kind of what more Unrivaled says they're going to do. In part, the idea is to create an avenue where the top basketball players who are WNBA players who make basically they're capped in the 200 to 250,000 range on direct payment from the WNBA mm-hmm. to make marketing deals and whatnot. But in salary for their job, the maximum is in the 230,000 range. Most are probably making anywhere between 100 to 200,000. So mm-hmm. for this league, Unrivaled, it specifically says that it is only going to be 30 players across six teams. It's playing three on three. It's playing one-on-one games are going to be on a soundstage in Miami. Stewart's even quoted in here talking about how like it can be on an all digital court. We'll have queen of the court. Like it, it kind of seems like a professional pickup in this way. And look on the men's side, big three does exist. There's clearly a market for three on three, not just internationally where we've seen three on three thrive as a Olympic level sport and as an alternative form of basketball for people to enjoy but even domestically big three has been able to have this kind of rotating tour every summer and at least create an avenue where people come out to watch i have not spoken to a single player in the wnba who's played three on three who hasn't talked about how much they love to play you know lexi hall steph dolson very different types of players very similar in how much they enjoy playing three on three so that'll be appealing in and of itself before you get to, you know, which is not nothing, the money involved as well. I, I do think, though, and, and this is the thing I keep going back to. You can kind of do the math a little bit on the number of players, 144, not 144, 136 or 138 or whatever. But like, all right, 144, right? 144 minus 30 means there's a whole lot of other people who are not part of this. What do you think of the fact that 
it's capped here at 30, despite the fact that there's not necessarily a financial backer in place yet. And on top of that, Stuart, in the quotes that she gives to Ramona Shelburne in this story, is saying that they are wanting to match the amount of money that players are making overseas proportional to whatever schedule they play to right. make it be that, look, this is the thought would be you don't need to leave the United States to play professional basketball and make the amount of money you make, which is not you know necessarily an easy thing to do financially. Even if you just take a base of $150,000 and apply it to 30 players, mm -hmm. that's $4.5 in salary alone for the 30 players before you have any other funding that you would have to get there. Right. It, to, to not... It again, I, I'll say this it feels as if the cart is way before the horse here, just in the idea that this is an excellent idea. I would be fascinated to see how it could go, but there's flaws with the idea on top of the fact that we it, it's very much just an idea at this point. It feels to a certain extent like the way we approach the next instead of uh lining up funding that we we simply created the thing and have uh had people. Uh, attracted to it to come to it to come support it and so that is appealing to me I think in in part because I am a big fan of like build the damn thing which is what uh, Stewie is doing what Fee is doing here um, you know Alex is a really interesting basketball mind and I love that he's involved it's going to be interesting to see what role he plays because he's done a lot of different things in this space um, but at the same time you're right that is a big unknown it also by the way just you know to do the math again AU can exist and this can exist at the same time and you could together be looking at something that ultimately employs the vast majority of people who are uh employed by the WNBA and who want to play in the offseason and I think we can kind of get more into this maybe in the next segment when we talk about winners and losers but there is kind of a lot that you have to kind of read between the lines and kind of what's being said here that certainly makes this land a little funny to me, let's mm -hmm. say. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, and I want to get to that. Uh, and we will in segment two. But first... Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You know, it's important to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It's something that matters in my industry and throughout all industries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma, although it's helpful with that too. It's just an opportunity to figure out who you are and how to be in the world. So go to betterhelp.com and fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. In fact, betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA gives you the chance to get 10% off for your first month. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on NBA. So we talked about it a bit here in segment one, and there's this idea of the way in which AU and Unrivaled 
work together. Before we get to that point, there is something that you and I, I think, feel very strongly about that this is, to my mind and yours as well, nothing less than a declared victory for the WNBA and prioritization. Tell me why you see it that way. Uh, because Brianna Stewart's quote to Ramona Shelburne is, we can't keep fighting. And she didn't say the prioritization rule, but they point out what it is. But right. the quote is effectively, we can't keep fighting prioritization. It is a rule that takes away our choices, which should never be a thing, especially as a woman, but it is a rule. I mean, that's Stewart basically saying, yeah, we have to live with prioritization. On top of that, it really, I think this encapsulates what I think a lot of people who would be on maybe a more labor-focused side would be a rightful kind of finishing of after Stewart has, you know, Brianna's talked the talk a lot about prioritization and a lot there. I think she's going to probably end up getting some very rightful criticism that when the chances were there to walk the walk in mm -hmm. terms of talking about how this rule is going to be terrible, people aren't going to be here. Not only did she, you know, not follow through on some of the big things she was hinting at or warning about, she took significantly less money to go play for the Liberty than what her maximum salary amount was. And now if she's starting a league that only the top players, you know, only 30 can join out of a 100 and something member union, whatever that number may be, even that's going to kind of choke off some people in that way and only allow a certain segment to access this level of salary. It's it certainly, I would say that in the court of public opinion for a lot of people, Brianna Stewart's not going to necessarily look all that great for this idea. On top of that, Howard, we have seen time and time again, spring football leagues for American football be significantly financially backed and failed and people keep trying. But we know in women's sports, when an idea fails, if an idea, like if this league hits an actual game on the court come January, that will be a success. And if it doesn't, we know that people apply things irrationally on a broad scale to women's sports. This doesn't work, so none of it can work. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, far be it for me to, you know, we've both publicly said the WNBA is probably going too slow with expansion. But I do get the idea of being risk averse in that regard. And this, if this fails, I, I do think that people will apply the same nonsense oh, this means women's sports never work. And that's why this feels like such a reach without any funding, without, you know, with only, you know, two, three players behind it with very limited idea set. That to me is why the WNBA feels like the winner here because their prioritization, it's, it's one over Stewart, whether she realizes it or not. I guess I want to push back on a couple of fronts on this, um, though I think these are reasonable points. Uh, but I, I, I see it, a little differently from Stewart's perspective, both in terms of what has changed on the ground and what has changed on the ground the last couple of years is there's a massive increase in investment in women's sports such that it makes these things seem possible. You know, I, I, I ran a piece at the nine, which was a classic piece. It was a, a rerun of a thing I wrote in March of 2020. And so much of what I thought were ultimate goals for the W, but were stretch goals from the perspective of early March 2020 are no longer stretch goals, are now a pretty useful set of guidelines for what they can do going forward because of the change in investment, because of the fact that in Utah, it costs $2 million to get an NWSL franchise. 
and in the Bay Area, it costs $50 million. And that is a reflection. 53. Thank Don't. you. As, re as recorded by, I can't remember, somebody. A few places. <laughs> a few places right here on this podcast. So the, the bottom line of this is that there's a lot more money out there. And to plan to flag... Best player in the, best players in the world. Two of the best players in the world. I I don't think you can argue that Brian Stewart and Nafisa Collier are two of the ten best players in the world. Well, they were two of the twelve on the U.S. Olympic team last time. So. so there it is, you know. And so to say that, you know, indisputably to say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is our vision for it. Come be part of it. Well, there are going to be, if you believe, and I think you and I both believe this. Both both of our belief that the W is going too slow is not coming from, gee, they should materialize people interested in investing from thin air. It is that there are people ready to spend. Howard, the question that I get asked the most often when I'm out and about reporting and kind of talking just to folks who know my job is mm -hmm. why is W here yet in the Bay Area? Yeah. And that's, that's the number one question I get asked about my job, to be honest. And that, there's a lot, I, there's that question in Philly too. That right. question gets asked all over. So there's, so there's money, there's people, there's planting a flag and saying it. So I, I said, that's very appealing to me, number one. Number two, since the CBA was signed, Brittany Griner happened. And to me, that has changed the emotional as well as the intellectual calculations for people around the league. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them a bit. And so for me, to be sitting here thinking, I know what Brianna Stewart felt from 2020. Well, 2023, I can't necessarily reconcile those two things. Yeah, yeah. there's a big thing happened in the middle. And, <laughs> and obviously, Brianna was very vocal in trying to get BG back. But even <laughs> we're talking about prioritization last year, as BG was being held, uh, you know, wrongfully detained in Russia, you can yeah. see that she was talking about prioritization in many of these ways. And I think in part, if you were the W and more players that are your top players, prioritization for the most part was not made for the 75th player in the league. It was made for the top 20. It was made for the USA Olympic level players. No doubt. And local. And if this is the thing that does it, the WNBA is not going to take prioritization away because of this, you're creating the avenue to meet the rule. And so prioritization was to the WNBA as allocation money is to the NWSL. And, and now you look at it and, you know, there's certainly at least within, I do wonder what this says about the WNBPA, the Players Association, mm -hmm. in terms of is there a potential, I guess, fractioning within there just because you're going to have players who go to maybe this unrivaled who are making significantly more money in their off season than AU or other places. And you have to wonder what the messaging is going to be internally there when players are doing these things. And especially, you know, players who are on the WNBPA board, what are you working toward in that way? Our Isabel Rodriguez has written eloquently about the WNBA shrinking middle class, the middle class, not being as big a part of the board as it ought to be is concerning is concerning when you think about the full measure of player experience involved here. It also though goes back to AU and nothing 
makes people from AU more upset than when you talk about them as a chance of being like a G League for women's basketball because they don't like that idea at all. There's enough money being put into it that they want to be at the top of the off-season women's basketball pyramid. That said, this new idea leaves open that opportunity in a significant way. You know, if AU slots in ultimately for players 31 through 90 every single offseason and at the same time as unrivaled, suddenly you've solved a problem for how AU operates, how unrivaled operates, and how the WNBA operates all at once. But is there enough money to be made being that? Um, that's within John Patrick also ultimately has to answer, not me. On top of that, Brianna Stewart within this story kind of talks how she's been in meetings. And I just, to me, I would think that if you met with business people who are talking to you about this league mm -hmm. to kind of, again, to talk about the idea without having more of the backing, especially if their goal is to start in January, that's six months from now. It's not that much time to kind of get this thing up and running. And, and there's one more thing too, Howard. Saying you want to go to Miami, look, I get it. It's, if you're doing this from January to March, you want to be where the weather's nice. You want people to want to be there. But for a lot of the things that the players in the last CBA fought for in terms of protections, Florida as a state, by the way, just like Texas, where AU tends to play its basketball, mm -hmm. are not necessarily the most conducive states right now to protecting women's health. No, it's, it's a concern. It's a, it's a concern, I guess, is sort of the easiest way to put that. So... There's a lot to figure out. Just to kind of bring it full circle, do you think AU needs to respond? Is there anything that AU needs to do to shift what they're doing? Or I know we talked about this a little bit. Is AU essentially going to continue to establish itself in its own lane? I think in part, there's absolutely an avenue for this to be healthy competition between the two leagues. And I yeah. think... What we see in the women's soccer world, frankly, is that there is far more establishment overseas than there is here in the U.S. until the NWSL has grown in this way. And we started to see that, you know, the U.S. infrastructure is getting better, but mm -hmm. so is the investment in infrastructure in Europe with the top women's teams in the women's soccer world that all of a sudden there is competition for top players, you know. One of the, the U.S. women's team this year has one player on it, not from the NWSL, which itself is quite the feat for the NWSL. Mm -hmm. But that one player in Lindsey Horan just left the NWSL to stay in France at one of the top teams over there. And that competition is only going to make both sides better. It'll only make the women's football world better. It'll make the NWSL better. I think competition could force both of these leagues to be better. The problem right now, the way that I see it, is that AU is established. They have a backing. They have several things already in place. This unrivaled, it's it certainly, I'm, I, I hate to be so cynical and so skeptical of it, but when you're saying so many of the things that you want to have, but you don't really have any of it laid out and ready, it certainly gives the impression that there is a lot of work to do and there's not that much time left to do it. Six months is asking a lot. Listen, it's hard six months out to plan a jewel event from an existing league. Uh, we have seen the WNBA struggle with all-star games in the past where the venue wasn't lined up uh, ahead of time. You know, you're talking more like six months. Six months was 
treated as not enough ultimately to um, have a crowd at a three-point contest. Anyway, that's our most recent, yeah, I was going to say not just a all-star game. Our most recent all-star game, we saw this issue happen. So, and and there's se- there's certainly some ideas within this that I find interesting. But if this is being played on a soundstage in Miami, again, are you is this just being sold for television sake, or are we wanting right. a crowd there? Um, there, there is a lot left to be answered about Unrivaled that I will be curious to see what their answers are, but I'm, I am very uh, inherently skeptical as a human being. Yes. That is my nature, but I feel founded in that skepticism at the moment. Where I am is, and maybe this is where I am, is inherently agnostic. And so I am very much feeling like these questions need to be answered. I'm interested to see them. Whether they can or not, there's a lot of potential here, too. And so from my perspective, I think it's an idea that makes a lot of sense for a lot of the reasons we've gotten into today. And a lot of the right people are there to lead it. Now the question is, who who can they attract to finish the job? And they got six months to do it. So we shall see what comes next. And I can't wait to be talking about it even more now. I'm delighted to tell you that Jackie Powell will be hosting tomorrow's Lockdown Women's Basketball, talking about WNBA injuries. If you haven't gotten a chance to see what Lucas Theoffer has done, go over to thenexthoops.com and check it out. It's a real-time database about WNBA injuries to get a sense of who's getting hurt, why, and what can be done to make it a better, safer league. I'm really proud of that public service journalism that we're doing. If you are not watching us on YouTube and just listening, you make sure you follow Alex Simon at Alex Simon Sports uh, on Twitter, on Threads. What do we say? For most of the places, if you look that up, Threads, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Carrier Pigeon, that's what I'll be. Uh, Carrier Pigeon is not a new social media. It's just if you send a Carrier Pigeon and tell it Alex Simon Sports, it probably can find me. You don't know. It might have been a new social media thing while we were recording. It's very yeah. possible. So make sure, make sure you follow whatever Alex Simon is doing. That's the best advice I can give you. Until tomorrow, I am Howard Megdahl here for Lockdown Women's Basketball, wishing all of you an unrivaled Thursday. Welcome to Wallet. For the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball.